Hey, Rockheads. If you haven't already checked out Music to Code By, you really should, especially if you need to focus on anything, like programming. But it's not just good for programming. It's also great for kids doing homework. It's great for reading, great for writing, anything that requires your concentration. The results speak for themselves. I've got hundreds of satisfied customers. Go check out their comments at mtcb.pwop.com. That's mtcb.pwop.com. .NET Rocks, Episode 1202, with guest Charles Sterling. Recorded Thursday, September 24th, 2015. It's Dotnet Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. We're here for another hour. Charles Sterling is here from Microsoft. It's going to be a good show. And uh, how you doing, buddy? I am, you know, plunking along, doing the thing with the stuff, trying to figure out the October geek out, because I got all the big, big ones out the door now, right? I mean, we yeah. put artificial intelligence to bed, we put quantum computing to bed, you know, although both of them worth some revisits, because there's always more information that comes out after you do a show. Yeah, I, I got a few geek outs of my own that I'd like to do, um, specifically digital audio. Yeah. And and music, of course. Yes, of course. Yeah, harmony and all that. There's so music is such a broad category. Yeah, it's it's there's so much in there and so much to talk about. We go on for a long time. Well, I've been using feetheb.com, and I'll include the link in the show to take the votes. Current on the top of the stack right now is smart homes. Ah. Which, you know, it's that's easy that's kind of an easy one. Maybe I'll do that just because we've been doing such sort of hard controversial or real mm. futurist stuff just looking at what smart homes are at right now and might be kind of an, an, an easy one to lay all down the one i've been working the hardest on personally is this i what is it going to take to make humankind a spacefaring race yeah like what are the technologies what needs to move forward what is the order of things that kind of thing it's not even really an ask for show but it is something that's been on my mind with everything we've done yep yep well, uh, audio has been on my mind, and I'll tell you why. You'll know why. I know you, why. After you hear this from Better Know Framework. All right, buddy, what do you got? All right. You know, Richard, how I've been saying for years, ever since the touch revolution happened, that I wanted to apply that to the recording studio. Yeah, yeah. That I want a mixer that I can control from a touch screen, and now I've got one. So go to tinyurl.com slash rackmix. Rackmix. Because it was available. You know? There you go. It's close enough, right? Personas. Right. You've been talking about some Personas gear. Well, I have. Last year, I bought the 3242AI, which is a 32-channel mixing board with faders and everything like that. And it's been great. And yes, you can use an iPad to mix, and it's wonderful. And you can even use a, a touchscreen and all that stuff, but it is still a mixer. Right. Now they have a headless version of this. That's a four-unit rack mount version. Right. That's only accessible through software. Interesting. Yeah. It's great. And the software is amazing. You can use an iPad, but you can also use a big Windows touch machine or a Mac 
So do you uh, actually need the computer part? Because, I mean, I'm looking at the picture. It looks like just, it almost looks exactly like that Dell 24-inch touchscreen I put in the kitchen. Well, that's just the app that runs right. it. But the unit itself, if you scroll down, you'll see what it actually looks like, where it says dedicated I.O. Yeah, it's a rack mount unit. It's a rack mount unit. Yeah. It's got 32 inputs yep. and 16 outputs. And those 16 outputs are for auxiliary mixes or headphone mixes or monitor mixes. Yeah. This okay, and so is this actually a computer? Like, is there a VGA port out the back or something? No, or you it's have, not you a need computer. A PC? It is not a computer. Well, it's, of course, dedicated mixer computer, right. but it's not something that has UI built into it. That said, all the apps are free, right. and you can run them anywhere on anything that has right. Wi-Fi support and supports it. Um, so a touchscreen all-in-one PC is the perfect combination here, as big a screen as you want. Absolutely, yeah. Richard. And get this, it's really great for gigging. All right. So, really? Yeah, I want to tell you about this. We use the, the Studio Live 32-channel board, which has the same software control recently at a gig with a 10-piece band with horns and everything. All right? So we have all the, the board, which is usually out front, was now in back of the band. It was in the back. Right. Uh, all the levels were set ahead of time. So nobody was clipping or anything like that. Yeah. And then the sound guy walked around with an iPad and did the rest. Oh, my goodness. Of course he did. It's just Wi-Fi now. He can listen to the sound profile anywhere in the room and anywhere, still be able to adjust things. Absolutely. That's anywhere genius. In the room. And it was amazing sounding. Not only that, but the auxiliaries were pumped into headphone amplifiers where where we ran extension cables to the musicians that were wearing in-ear monitors. Right. So everybody got their own dedicated mix. And this is really important. Everybody brought their own iPads and iPhones and they ran the software and they connected to it and they controlled their own headphone mix. I oh. want more bass. I want less drums. I want more piano. Everybody got their own. And so you get to hear what you want to hear. You don't keep yelling at the audio absolutely. engineer to do that for you. You got it. <laughs> you got it. You want it better? Fix it yourself. And I got a story for you. We had the leader of the Coast Guard band, or the guy who led the Coast Guard band ever since I was a kid. Right. Probably 40 some odd years. And he retired trumpet a few player, years right? ago. Trumpet player. Never yeah. played with a rock band before. His first experience with us was okay, but we had bad monitors and stuff. His second experience... We used the in-ear monitors, and it was this gig that I'm telling you about. He was un—he was amazed. He was like, "This was so comfortable." I could because these in-ear monitors are, you know, like earbuds, but they go actually in your ear. So the right. first thing they do is block out all the ambient noise. Yep. And then you just get to hear exactly what you want to hear. So they're really, really nice. And he said the experience was just wonderful, and the fact that he could control exactly what he wanted to hear from his iPhone. It's awesome. That's very cool. Very gadgety. Very gadgety. Yeah, it's very <laughs> high tech and just gets rid of so much. Because listen, I know I'm ranting here, but listen to how cool this is. You don't have snakes that are right. these long cables that go from the board out front to the band and, you know, all of that stuff. So we just plug right into this on stage. The sound guy just goes out in the with an iPad and that's it. Yep. It's perfect. Yeah, you don't want all that stuff. It's just unnecessary. The only reason we did all of that is the audio engineer, who also got to sit, and he sat in the crowd. He also sat in the best location. Like, and he moved around. Yeah, most most concerts, if you really want to hear them great, go stand by the board. Right. 
right? Like that's because that's the guy who's setting the sound. So the fact now that he can roam around and make sure every nook and cranny sounds decent, sort of balance the whole thing, it's powerful. Yeah. Okay. So I got the rack mount version. Just got it today. Cool. I haven't plugged it in yet, but I'm going to move all the settings over from my big board. And the sound guy who did our sound uh, is actually buying the board from me. Love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Good deal. All right, man. That's cool. it. Nice find. Thanks. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1107, the one we did with Mads Christensen. We were talking about ASP.NET VNext. Uh, this is early in uh, 2015. And this particular comment comes from Darren, who says, I'm a web application developer. I build enterprise-level web applications. Visual Studio is my favorite IDE for any and all software development. I have played with editors for my front-end work, but I'm highly addicted to Visual Studio and my preferred tool set of extensions. I recently installed the release candidate 2015. This is a few months ago now, because obviously it's shipped. Mm -hmm. And I had a little play with one of the earlier builds. But I'm now trying to exclusively use 2015 outside of work. This is with the RC. I'm really impressed with the new features. One of the things that has disappointed me was the reduction in tools in Web Essentials for 2015, especially the SaaS and less processors. And this is something we talked about with Mads, right? That he puts all the stuff into Web Essentials, and if he really succeeds in being pulled into Studio, but you always have this moment where you're like, well, where did this thing go out of Web Essentials? Mm, right. I am aware that Visual Studio has embraced the open source community, and for the web, it is pushing for Visual Studio users to move to Grunt and Gulp. But I'm a Windows user and a Microsoft developer. I love a GUI, I hate a command line, and I want my development environment to do everything for me so that I can get on with building the rich applications my customers want. Yeah. I love that Visual Studio is always advancing, but I'm concerned by moving so fast toward the open source tool set. As with Windows 8 removal of the start menu, they may not have considered how people use their products before invoking a sweeping change. Hmm. So and then this is really an interesting point here that this whole situation with the Web Essentials kit is it's following the latest version of Studio. And if you're not keeping up, you know, you can get surprised because the tools can can go away from you. Because, you know, mm. SAS and Less are now in Studio 2015. Right. Right. It's why they left Web Essentials. But you get caught in that gap, you can be surprised. Yeah. Darren, great comment. It's nice to talk to someone, you know, actually doing the work and finding the little glitches in the matrix, so to speak. And a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of the social media. We post every show to Facebook and Google+, and you can comment there as well. If we read your comment on the show, we'll send you a mug. And that brings us to our guest, Charles Sterling. He came to Microsoft from being a marine biologist working for the United States National Marine Fisheries doing marine mammal research on the Bering Sea. And MCSE and MCSD, he started out at Microsoft in developer support, focusing on Fox Pro, also oh, Visual oh, Basic. Go Fox! Yeah, also Visual Basic in the platform SDK. And then he worked as an engineer for the database teams on ActiveX Data Objects, ADO, Open Database Connectivity, that was ODBC, for those who like strings, and specializing in Microsoft SQL Server. From there... Charles took a position with the Solutions Integration Escalation Team, which focused at sort of the Navy SEALs of Microsoft support, right? Which <laughs> That's right. Which focus on assisting Microsoft customers with the integration of disparate software technologies into viable enterprise solutions. On this team, Charles focused on Microsoft Message Queue, MSMQ, doing numerous talks at conferences, writing papers, and teaching classes on the topic. Charles's role in Redmond before moving to Australia for the last seven years was the product manager for the .NET framework. 
Chuck is currently back in Redmond working as program manager in VSTS. Welcome back, Charles. Or welcome. No, you've never been on the show before. It's an embarrassment, but it's true. It's embarrassing how we haven't had you, know, you on the show. As long as we've been friends, I've never been on the show. But then I didn't I didn't feel I had anything worth saying until now. Ah. Okay. Well, that, that must be a good show then. You- I, I hope so. I have I have some questions for you guys. So the first one's for Richard. Are, are you relegating yourself to multi-ger- multi-generational space flight? Or are you still trying to hold true to you getting there? Uh, I'm yeah. That's an interesting question. And I just read Kim Stanley Robinson's Aurora, which uh-huh. is actually a book, a really interesting take on the multi generational spaceflight issue. You know, starting right off at the top with everybody who gets on that spaceship to be of the journey is best and brightest, right? They fought hard to get on that ship, but it doesn't right. mean their kids are. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm I'm not that worried about it. I don't know that it's going to be me one way or the other. I mean, Elon wants to retire on Mars. But uh, I think I'm not even going to worry about interstellar. Let's just get interplanetary. Well, it changes the technology you look for. It changes it from physics and, you know, quantum engineering to biology. Well, and part of this is just sort of this recognition of there's nothing we're going to do in the interplanetary space. It isn't going to be important in the interstellar space anyway. Yeah. Okay. And then for Carl, I have a question for you is, do you see things like your, your rack mount that you were showing or your rack mix that you were showing? changing music because what i was just thinking about what you're doing and saying you know if everybody thought the mix should be x it's going to change the way that the music gets released it's actually going to alter the what we receive because it's been crowdsourced wow i i think this latest generation of of tools is just making what we've already done so much easier that's all and because of just because of the way that you can now walk around i mean it it's liberating in the way that we were liberated when we first had smartphones, right? It, it's like that, except that, you, you know, in a live environment, you, you, you don't get the whole picture just sitting in the sweet spot. You have to go walk around. So, I mean, just because of that, it, it's, it, it makes it so much easier to get a better sound. So I don't, I don't know if about producing music. I mean, you still have to produce it and, and let's face it, the, these things are aren't cheap. I mean, this thing is two grand, and the board version is three grand, and you know that it's not something that you your average acoustic guitar player or or produce hip hop producer can just go out and pick up. You know, but okay. But I think I guess- in a professional the in the world of professional studios, a something that had this kind of feature set would have been twelve thousand dollars just two years ago. You know, so that's and, and the sound quality is just as good as any, maybe even better than any Yamaha board that I've ever seen. I, I guess I'm asking maybe a slightly different question. I, I mean, feel free to cut me off. Is that right now when we get music, it is the artist's um, interpretation, or it is the ar- artist's definition. It is it is their view of that music. Mm. So when I get your music, it is what you decided it wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And what what. What you described in a crowdsource and I aggregate the mixes that people listen to, that's no longer the case. It's going to be almost music by community or committee. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I've seen attempts at that. You're, are you talking about like uh, collaboration using the internet, yeah. that kind of thing? Exactly. And I, I saw the audience choose. Yeah. Actually, the inventor of MTV. Um, what's his name? Godly, Kevin Godly introduced a tool for the iPad called Whole World Band, 
which sort of does that. You basically record yourself with your iPad, which is a challenging enough because now you have to get from your mixing board or whatever a signal into your iPad that actually sounds good. But you record yourself with your iPad playing and singing or playing an instrument or whatever, and then people can lay down tracks on top of that and then mix their own kind of you know, mixes with video and audio on the fly on the iPad. So, but I'm not, it didn't really take off like, like uh, we thought it would. I'm gonna have to check it out either way. Cause it sounds interesting. Like, yeah, the collaboration thing is really neat. Um, of course you have to have music that lends itself to collaboration and then you have to, on top of it, have the it smarts to be able to handle an app like that. Okay. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. So what are you working on these days, Chuck? Yeah, we got questions for you. <laughs> ah. <laughs> um, I'm actually working on the test tools team as part of that whole ALM business. Um, specifically, I'm on the, the load test team. I know that's a, a topic close to Richard's heart. I don't know if this is what, what makes Carl go, but I thought I'd reach out to Richard and say, hey, is this something we should chat about? Well, and, you know, I started using the load test tools in the test edition of Studio in 2008. And it was one of those things where it's like you had you had quietly hidden a ten thousand dollar plus test load testing suite inside of Studio that most people just didn't know about, and we're sort of giving it away, you know, until Ultimate came along, where it's like you want those, you need an Ultimate license. Yeah, we've done an amazing job of hiding hiding this this diamond. Um, you know, even inside of it, there are pieces hidden away, like the ability to go out and bind to your NIC and. Um, throttle the latency of your network traffic. Right. That's something actually other companies sell. And that's just one facet of the load test. And I don't know that we ever promoted it. We just kind of stuck it in there and said, well, it's just part of the ultimate box. Maybe you guys will discover it. And most people didn't. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by the bug-crushing superpower that is Raygun. If you're wanting to detect and diagnose errors and crashes in your software, even find problems that you didn't know existed to improve your software, then Raygun may be perfect for you. Add a few lines of code to your application, and in minutes you'll get real-time error reports with all the information you need to fix bugs fast. You can even hook it up to your team chat, bug tracking, and development workflow tools. Raygun covers all major web and mobile programming languages and platforms, including .NET, the full Xamarin stack, JavaScript, and many more. Go check out Raygun today at raygun.io and say hello for us. This has always been the battle about Ultimate, right? It's, it's expensive, $12,000. And and Microsoft's never really made a great story of why it's worth that much. The testing, if you need load testing, that's a good price to pay for load testing tools by itself. Happens to come with a dev environment, too. And a whole bunch of other stuff. Yeah. But for for a guy who spent money on serious load testing, just not that much money. Well, and the other problem, agreeing with you, the other problem was is the companies that bought Visual Studio Ultimate, they they saw Visual Studio Ultimate and they didn't think testers. So the people that ended up getting it would never run a load test to, to save their lives. Right. It's sort of a so prestige the, name. Oh, I have an Ultimate. Right. So all the dev leads and architects got it. And the performance engineers, you know, they were playing catcher's catch can with whatever they could right. because they didn't have the right box. So, yeah, it's it's mea culpa on Microsoft. We could have done better at both the discovery and maybe the packaging. And I, and I won't even bring up WCAT because that's another one of those great unknown tools that nobody ever made any money on. But let's focus on the studio load test tools. I'm, I'm oh, certainly well, a version two behind. Let's, 
let's 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 cover WCAT as well when I what start talking that? about what, For our, sure. what are our future investments are. So, Carl, were you asking what is it? Yeah, yeah. I'm, okay. This is definitely Richard's milieu, but I'm curious as to what how this all fits together. So, WCAT was a tool that we shipped that would actually go out and read your IIS logs and let you replay them. You know, little tiny companies like Microsoft.com or actually feature teams like Microsoft.com would use this to go out and find problems in IIS. So they would oh, run yeah. and say, hey, this is what our production server saw. Let's just replay that on a box out of rotation until it falls over. Okay, here's here's the stack. Let's fix it. Um, so, no, it was it it was a great idea. Um, it really never took off because the whole DevOps mentality didn't exist back then or not really. So it kind of went uh, faded away like other great ideas often do. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk about how maybe future investments, we can pick this back up. So when you're talking about uh, testing with 2015, are you talking about um, Visual Studio web test or is this something else? Uh, actually, yeah, let's, let's talk about it because it certainly includes that web test. Um, but a load test, you can actually generate load against um, any type of test, really. So you could go out and say, I'm going to write a unit test that calls a JSON service endpoint. And this is how Game Studios uses it. And I'm going to go out and run that unit test as, you know, a couple hundred thousand people over 100 cores for 72 hours. Got it. I'm not making these numbers up. This is exactly what they do. That is how long um, Game Studios do, runs their um, their load test for. Mm. and they aren't about testing the pages that you look at on the end of the URL. It's about um, testing their JSON services that they rely on and their publishers rely on for doing things like bills, billing, kudos, achievements. Um, so while they do a, you know, fail fast and loosely couple architecture, they need to figure out where they need to fail fast and where they need to loosely couple and where can they get that capacity. And as a guy who's done a lot of testing, like you don't actually know how a web server is going to perform until it's run for a few hours. Mm -hmm. Just getting through memory generations for ASP.NET, so you're actually in the steady state of large pool garbage collection, like, that takes a couple hours. There's just no way around it. Just filling up your buffer, you know, if you have a big F5 um, cache in, in front of your, your web server, that thing's going to take a little while just to figure out the right algorithms. Yeah, to, figure to out actually pages. settle into what normal operating conditions are going to look like. Mm. Web tech, real... Well, I guess we could talk about the different species of load tests, but real, I'm simulating the outside world load tests, and we can argue the validity of this whole idea, take hours and hours and hours. Mm -hmm. it, it, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> it depends on what you're trying to do. If you're trying to break stuff and figure out where things break, um, hitting it all at once hard is actually a good way of figuring out where the wheels fall off. Um, it's also not very realistic. You're right. You're starting to talk about synthetic loads versus realistic. So, you know, the big catchphrase right now is real user monitoring. You know, this is my DevOps hat that I've been right. putting on. I, I don't right. know. I don't know. I think it's realistic when you consider how fast something like build sells out when tickets go on sale. Right. I mean, that's hitting it all at once with, you know, yeah, however many hundred true. thousands of or voting, you know, voting that happens all at once. Or Obamacare. <laughs> yeah, right. Anything that has that Go. opening moment. It's like, it, this is going to open at 9 o'clock on this day. Yeah. That is a load test bomb. What was it? The iPhone 6 release at 3 a.m.? Yes. Yeah. I mean, there there are <laughs> definitely there are definitely cases where, 
you need to know, you know, at what point the wheels fall off. So, it's, like I said, is is there are so many different types of performance, capacity, load, stress tests that we just put underneath of it a single umbrella, and a lot of times load test doesn't even resonate with the people I'm actually trying to offer my wares to. Maybe one of the reasons load test was um, so so seldom used in Visual Studio Ultimate. Well, and the, and the other side of this is the A-B testing. Is the new version faster than the old version or more scalable than the old version? Like, that's that's a different kind of test. Yes, absolutely. And that's probably what most Agile teams are actually interested in doing. You know, I, I checked something in. I went through my CI build. I want to know if it's faster. I don't, I don't yeah. want to have to have a performance engineer go out and, and spin a bunch of time up and tell me this. I just want to know, right? yeah. you know, a, a a green thumb pointing up or a red thumb pointing down in a bug filed. And the, and the behavior of a given method on a web page on your local machine is not the same as the production server with many people connecting to it. Like you, you can fool yourself pretty easily. Yeah. I sit in the same team room as Brian Keller. And I think he's wor- he's wearing his, it works on my machine t-shirt today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, actually, shout out to Wes McDonald. I think that's who gave it to him. So, anyways, nice. All right, one of our mutual friends up in Canada. So, what's hot in the 2015 version of these tools? I, so, you just said 2015. Let's take a step back, maybe a little bit, and talk about what we're working on. Okay, and maybe maybe remove Visual Studio from some of that from that conversation. So, oh. when I when I when I start thinking about this reinvestment because it is actually new investment that we're making in load testing. I kind of think of it as, is three different buckets or three different workflows. First of all, um, we, we need to make it easier for maybe some non-traditional audience members to go out and do load test. Um, so one of the, one of the efforts I, I suggested and I, uh, we use build measure learn here on the team. I hypothesized was a good thing is that, there are people that want to know performance data around their website who aren't engineers, who aren't um, developers. And they don't want to crack open Visual Studio. So for them, and something we just released this week, is if you go out and open your Azure subscription and open up any web app blade, any web app in your Azure subscription, and go to tools, you're not going to see performance testing. Huh. That's brand new. That's something wow. we just released. And this is why I contacted you guys to say, hey, this is kind of different this isn't your normal super techno geek my first my very first um persona that i reached out to was steven borg's wife at northwest cadence who isn't a technologist a brilliant lady i love her to death she runs their business and logistics and training and their events and i said hey can you come in and sit with the usability she's like you know i don't write codes like i don't want somebody to write code she's like you know i'm really embarrassed i haven't used the azure portal i'm like even better wow yeah i want to know if you are interested in the experience that your users are seeing for your website. And she goes, absolutely. Well, I think I can give you that without actually filling out a single dialog box or a, a single option. All you have to do is say run test. And then as you go further, maybe Shad is their developer who works on their website. As he says, I added a new page. You go out and see if it's faster or better or slower. Better is relative as far as like number of errors. So I sat down with her, and the first thing that I found out with working with Lori and Becca at Northwest Cadence was that load testing wasn't something, a term they they internalized, right? right. It's just they understood words like performance, and they kind of got capacity, but performance certainly resonated. How fast is our website? 
So we renamed the offering to performance testing right off the bat. And then also watching them, um, we thought it was underneath the settings, and that's not where they looked. They looked underneath of the to new tools hub. So we moved it specifically for them. Hmm. So, you know, this is not a Visual Studio offering. You don't go into Visual Studio. You go into Azure. And while it asks for a Visual Studio online account right now, the only reason we did that is so that way, wherever you run your load test from, you can actually go out and do that trend analysis and compare it against other runs from either Visual Studio Online or Visual Studio. So I can go out and compare something that Becca or Lori Borg did versus something that Steve Borg did on the same website. Go out and say, hey, are these pages faster or slower regardless of the client? So that's part of going out and you know, making it a lot easier and actually targeting new personas. Um, on that same workflow, I said there's three, but before I go forward, we're also actually adding JMeter support. So JMeter? Yeah, JMeter. So I can go out and use a JMX file instead of a web test and, and reference that directly from my load test. And I can go out and say, I'm going to go out and use this industry open standard that the Java community has been using and supply load using this new service. And once again, going out and start comparing my load across different pages. So looking at after new people and making it easier. Um, there's a lot of JMX files around and these Business folks could probably go out and find them and say, yes, this is actually an end-to-end -end scenario that I'm curious about, adding something to a classroom register and booking a class or adding something to a shopping cart. Nice. So that would, be, that would be the first one that excites me is making it easier for different type of people that we typically uh, targeted with Visual Studio. And then, of course, how could we forget our favorite, our favorite client, you know, Visual Studio? We haven't touched it really in a meaningful way since 2005 as far as the interaction. Um, so we are redoing that entire wizard. Um, now also one thing that you mentioned, or one thing we had talked about is that visual studio, uh, load test used to only be in visual studio ultimate. Right. Now that ultimate's gone and we have visual studio enterprise. There are a lot of new people that have access to it that probably also don't realize it's there. So this is an opportunity for us to go out and get clean and make it easier for them inside of a Visual Studio experience. So there's going to be a new wizard that integrates the application monitoring. So I can go out and take a look at things like um, application insights. I'm, I'm working with New Relic. We'd love to see New Relic actually as um, a data source for the integration. So I run my load test. I want to know what it does on my servers. Sure. Yeah. Um, uh, going out and making Cloud Toggle a first-class citizen in that wizard. So I toggle it to the cloud what, what is or is not going to work and actually show that in the wizard. Right now it's kind of, you go through the wizard and it fails if you chose the wrong options. Um, not a very good pick your own adventure sort of um, experience. <laughs> We've added, we added 10 geographic locations into that wizard as well. So I can go out and say, I want my traffic to come from uh, East Coast. So it comes from Carl Franklin's world, or I can go out and say West Coast. Yeah, this Sorry, reminds me we of webpagetest.org, which you talked about with uh, Chris Love a few shows back, mm -hmm. where you, you just, you know, here's a site where you could specify a, a, a website, and then there's a whole list of locations. Want to see how it performs in India, want to see how it performs from Europe, and so forth, and it basically does the waterfall testing for you. Yeah. Hey, uh, Charles, hold that thought, because Richard, you know what time it is now. Uh, must be that happy time again. Yep. It's time to check in on this load test I'm running against. Crash this server and win a million dollars dot com. Hmm. Unresponsive.
<laughs> wonder why. I wonder. I don't know. It's actually time to give away a D experience subscription from Developer Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Ramesh Chidirala. Ah, congratulations, Ramesh. Way to go, Ramesh. Way to go. Ramesh just won the D-Experience subscription, a big pile of awesome from DevExpress. And if you don't know what we just did, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. Every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you got to sign up to win. And Charles, it's your turn. We like to ask our guests, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? Um, it's pretty easy. I'm actually building a boat that I bought for one dollar, and the electronics <laughs> for the boating industry. Yeah, go go up to my blog. I'm not kidding. Go up to my blog. I bought it for one dollar. Yeah, I'm um, sure you did. That means, electronics. That means it's got a whole pile of repairs necessary, right? That's exact. It 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 was bereft of a couple minor things: motors, props, <laughs> cutters. Um, the electronics. I I would clearly go out and invest in some new high-end stuff if for no other reason to go out and incent some of the, the marine electronics companies to go out and catch up to the nineties, maybe even the mm. millennia. I don't know. Mm. Um, they're so far behind, you know, they're I'm running wires. I'm thinking this is so dumb. I'm drilling holes in a boat. They should so, be paying, okay. paying you to take it away. You know, at some point. Yeah. I was just thinking if any boat you buy for a dollar, you probably paid too much for <laughs> I should have gotten some money to take it. My my wife absolutely agrees with you. She's already named my 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 beautiful purchase. She named it Miracle. She said it'll be a miracle if it ever leaves our yard. <laughs> <laughs> yep. They say the two so, happiest times in a boat owner's life when they buy a boat and when they sell it. And also that a boat is a hole in the water into which you pour money. And that yep. is true, definitely. Oh, found the blog. There's the boat. There's <laughs> the boat. <laughs> There's the boat. Miracle. Yeah, I, I bought it when I was at the Build Conference. I actually, I think I was standing in front of you guys shooting a show, as a matter of fact. And um, I told the owner, I'll take it for a dollar. It wow. weighs 10,000 10, 10, pounds, and it was on blocks in a storage yard in Issaquah, Washington. Oh, man. Figured, how hard could that possibly be to get home? 10,000 pounds. <laughs> they say lift with your legs, not your back? Yeah, slightly. <laughs> so, so move anyway. carefully. Who knows what the state – I mean, it's fiberglass hull, so you know they, those are infinitely repairable too. Uh, yes, and they don't go away. So by – by going out and getting an old hole, I would like to think I did my part for the ecology. There you go. You're a brave man, sir. Brave, brave man. But boy, oh boy, you could suck up five grand like nothing. What happened to the Datsun V8? <laughs> That's what I want to know. So the Datsun V8 is in the chicken coop, and it's actually it, – it runs. 
Um, I haven't spent a lot of love on it. You know, there's only, what, 28 hours in a day, 25, whatever the number is. So I've been putting it onto a this boat. And the reason being is as I get older, I want to spend more time with my family or maybe somebody else's family, but with family. <laughs> a, a V8 and a Datsun 240Z, which is what Carl's talking about, um, is a great fun project for me by myself, but it really didn't include the family. So right. that's you know, what the boat is. The yeah. boat doesn't look too bad. It's got a fiberglass hull, right? So it's not it's not like the hull is in need of repair. It doesn't look like the hull is in need of repair. It looks a little moldy and dirty, but it doesn't look bad. I, it's that you know, welcome to being in Washington, but it actually is in amazing shape. The guy only put three hundred hours on it, and he parked it three years after he got it. So the boat is basically a three year old boat that was wow. used maybe a dozen times. And huh. parked for the for the interleaving thirty years, it was in a storage yard. So just neglected. Uh, yeah, wow. just they had the motors pulled. He did a lot of work on it while it sat there. Just the, the motors never made it back in it. So actually, I'm going to bring it up to full modern spec, dual 300 horsepower, new uh, Simrad electronics. You know, as only a geek could actually possibly build. Oh a boat. yeah, yeah. Heck with smart homes. Let's trick out a smart boat. Exactly right. Is you you got it on the head? Yeah, no, you could you could really lose your mind gadgeting that up. Now, if you could steer it with your phone, then now you got something. No, I'm kidding. No, actually, actually, that's not a what if. That's easy because it's actually all the autopilots are now done with Bluetooth. Nice. So I I will be using my phone to actually. uh, I've got the SDK from Simrad already, where I actually can surface the visualization. I can't, nice. push, I can't push the data because that's a, a different level of SDK. Just and, make sure uh, the pairing code isn't 1111. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I want to dig out that old Bluetooth sniper I had ages ago that could pull off Bluetooth signals from almost a thousand yards. Hey, why, are, are, we going, why are we going over that waterfall? <laughs> my boat's going to Vancouver. Damn it. Damn it. Give me my boat back. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness where were we so that's that's what i would do with five thousand dollars well that's noble and gone money gone money that's gone. not even a down payment on what you're going to put into that yeah, boat that's right that's like filling the gas tanks twice yeah that's it oh <laughs> uh, i just had brought up web page tests maybe we need to just sort of do some comparison consideration around all of this because it's it's a good remote test tool as well and one that's got a nice api for plugging into your dev stream where do you see that fitting in, or what's the approach with the the Microsoft tools in this? Um, you know, actually, I haven't looked at web page tests, so this is something I need to look at. Um, sure, I, I've I've looked at other crowdsourcing tools and other ones that actually offer different browsers for an experience as well. Yeah, and and web page test is not a load test tool; it is simply a, it's a waterfall tool. It's just tell me what Chrome looks like from this location to this site. And how long it took to load? What what what's the cache load look like? Those kinds of things. So you know, simulating latency is really hard. So why not just create latency by having a client that's three hundred milliseconds away? Gotcha, gotcha. And I, I guess we could also put that on the on the the sender as receiver as well, um, rather than actually having the client do it. But either right. way, it works. It could be done from the agent, or it could be actually done from the client. Yeah. Uh, they're 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 both tactics that make sense and work. Um, mm-hmm. No, it 
it sounds like somebody I should need to talk to. And, and something I don't have as far as on our roadmap is the open ALM. I don't know if you've heard the term. No. If you go out, if you go out and take a look at, um, what is it, Visual Studio Extensibility, I think is the name of the website. Um, everything that we do is a plug-in back into Visual Studio Online itself, and we all use our own REST APIs. So if you go out and take a look at our functionality, we are writing it as if we are a, a customer going out and extending the platform. Right. Um, therefore, we could actually go out and plug in the, the web test artifacts that you're talking about, or what was the gentleman's name that you said that did this? Yeah, Stephen Meehan. But, uh, and Chris Love talked about this on the show and we were talking about how, I mean, there's an API for web page tests so that you can build, put it into your build process. Part of your test suite is just, all right, go run this from all these locations and bring back the times and, and give it thresholds. And Chris spent the whole show telling us how much our website sucked, <laughs> which was great. By the way, have you run web page test on the new .NET Rocks oh, site? Oh, yeah, it's all A's. It's a lot of A's. Yeah, it's all A's. Way to go, Chris Love. Yeah, but we failed miserably on the old one. It was... Yeah. Yeah. It was an old site. It was an old site. Uh, anyway. Uh, obviously, obviously, load testing and stress testing in this case actually has a, a still a place in, in the cloud. I'm, I'm, say, I'm assuming that you guys are hosted somewhere, so it's no longer the infrastructure that's letting you down. It's a, probably a series of services that you're chaining together. Azure all the way, baby. Yep. Yeah. And, and so many people think that uh, now that I'm on Azure, I'll just break out a bigger credit card and buy more, you know, more, more cores. Unfortunately, as you start chaining in service calls out to, you know, Facebook or wherever, those round trips, if you actually tightly couple, are actually going to be a dependency and a slowdown that you've taken. Yeah, they start to add up. Yeah, they do. Um, when and this gets to the whole diagnostic side of, okay, I've benchmarked this, I'm... Not happy with the performance. Now, what do I do, Batman? I, yes, and and that's why I'm saying I, that's why that integration into things like application insights and New Relic is so vitally important, right? Because you won't know that where the call stack was and where the the exact service um, that was causing the problem until you go out and start running these high latency tests, like Chris Love is enabling, or these load stress and capacity tests that we're working on. Um, but again, looking at the APM underneath of those load tests is going to show you exactly this is the call. This is the dependency. I don't know if you've seen Application Insights or had anybody on the team. You get a, a, a bar graph of where your um, dependencies are and which one was the most latent. And it's pretty easy to see that, hey, all of our latency was from this one dependency. Right. Um, everything else was zeros. We need, to actually, we need to decouple that so we're no longer waiting for it. And you're describing, in this case, the dependency is an HTTP call of some kind? Um, it's actually, in Application Insights, it's any call outside of your of your namespace. So right. it, it, it doesn't even have to be an HTTP call. It could actually go out and be like an RPC call right. that, is, that is calling another DLL, for instance. You will see those. So see, actually, but you're just I, doing interception at that level as opposed to getting into the IL interleaving and saying it's this method, a, a you know, a, a, as per Redgate uh, Nance or uh, preemptive analytics. Um, so we will actually do the the IL. Actually, I'm putting on my application insights by saying we at this point. We'll yep. actually we'll show you at the IL level the method level, but it's a, it's a different um, screen and a different view is all right. So one well, is, one is job too. and one is my call stack. Yeah. 
Um, which brings us to the, the last workflow that I wanted to talk about that we're trying to do, which is just simply make Lotus a better cloud citizen, right? So I talked about going out and cleaning up the Visual Studio UI. I've talked about um, making it easier for different people that we've not targeted, but we also wanted to be a better cloud citizen and the application insights integration. And it's we've actually made this generic, so we, we can plug other APM providers in there, Dynatrace, uh, Preemptive. I actually talked to Gabriel and Bill Leach uh, several times about their work um, enabling uh, their uh, analytics and diagnostics to show up in our load tests. So this right. is something they're looking at. Uh, but right now it's just application insights. And that's because we did the work and the, the APIs are just now becoming available. Um, in addition to that, one of the big blockers that we keep hearing from customers that want to do cloud-based load testing. When I say cloud-based load testing, I'm talking about generating your load from the cloud back right. into endpoint is that, hey, I'm a bank, I'm a government institution, I'm a health provider, I'm not going to just open up some some endpoint willy-nilly to the internet. Therefore, you get excluded. So what we've done there is actually added, a, we were calling the whole feature set application behind the firewall. End of the day, what it's using is actually using Azure VNets and coming in from private IP addresses. Interesting. So we'll, we'll actually run our agent on your network, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, and, and I mean an important part of the this these testing effects is giving as realistic client sourcing as possible. As soon as you go in, and, if it's all, an all internal app, that's fine. You're expecting all internal traffic, but often you know we well, I dealt with Load Runner and tools like this, being able to generate a load from a disparate set of IP addresses because it affects how load balancing works. And you're not again you there's all these mistakes you can make for making realistic load tests. And we're doing more work in that space, too, but you're spot on. I mean, at what point is a load tester? At what point is it a denial of service attack? There's really no difference, yeah. except one, you know where the knob is. What you if know where the traffic's coming from. What yeah. if you're testing security features against a denial of service attack? You'll know if it works or not. That's, that's right. <laughs> because we, you are creating a denial of service attack. You're just figuring out what happens in a, that controlled environment. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so what else have we been working on to make it a better cloud citizen? Uh, the initial pricing when people were trying to go out and, and do crazy scale was fairly harsh or expensive, we've been told. So we went out and did like a 10x price cut uh, across the board. Wow. Come Jeez. January, come, come January, uh, last January, we made uh, pricing changing just to be able to be run as part of your build process. Um, we also increased it to 100 cores, 72 hours, and 10 locations, like I mentioned. And then the one that I'm probably the most excited about is if you guys have not taken a look at the new build system in Visual Studio Online, please do so. But if you click on give me a new build, right off the bat, you're, you're asked, do I want to build a Android application, iOS, or a Visual Studio application? Regardless of which one you choose, you get all of these tasks that you can add from both the community and from Microsoft. And load test is a task that you can add to your build or your release pipeline as simply a, a click, a drag and drop and say, I want to use this load test file. And we talked about maybe adding others like JMeter. Yep. And I will take the heuristics of your load test to run the, the tests like unit test or web tests that we had talked about. So, I, you know, it's kind of exciting. It's, it's kind of a, a new era for load testing at Microsoft. Um, you know, we well, in really the script for generating a load test, I mean, that's not a small thing. That's about recruiting a bunch of machines, pulling in a, you know, if you think about the 
everything you do to generate a load test, presuming you're not going to test it in production because that's just mean. <laughs> so that means taking the latest build of the app, standing up a set of servers to run that version of that app, then turn around, stand up a set of machines to be the load generators, load them with a distributed set of scripts, which presumably are matching scenario profiles for your workloads, and then run the overall test, could be ours, and then take all those results and and, and uh, collapse the whole system, shut down all those VMs and, and feed it back. I, you know, before we actually started working on the, the cloud load test service, we actually talked to some mutual friends like Chris Kinsman and Marcel DeVries, yeah. Our, yeah. our other regional directors, and they are saying in both of their companies, it was on average, after they got the machines on the loading dock, it was still four days of dedicated effort to be able to actually just kick off a load test. Four days just to start it off. And we used to do that at, at Strange Loop. We would take, uh, we had racks of machines whose job it was to be able to do the, we were testing a performance appliance, something that was designed to be able to take your performance up another level. And so being able to tolerate, you know, just to harness enough workload, this is pre-cloud, right? We owned a lot of servers because of that. Life's good when you're a startup, but that's well-funded. Right. We also had a Spirant Avalanche, which was the evilest piece of hardware I've ever seen. <laughs> evilest. Uh, expensive. It was like a 200. It was a device designed to crush network switches. Wow. Okay. And you programmed it in Tickle, TCL. And uh, I have never seen a single tool more capable of wiping out a web server faster. It was just like, you want to see? How about a million TCP requests a second? Ooh. Boom. It's like, now your server's dead. Next. <laughs> but, but it was later, it was designed to stress test network switching. Right? It was a, really an evil machine. But when you wanted to push stuff a long way, this thing, this, this thing had a knob that went to 11. Wow. You know, what's funny is I actually have got a call with Spirant. They're a Visual Studio Online partner, a VSO partner, um, and they were looking at getting started with the, those REST APIs. So I, n now that I've got some context for the phone call, I'm looking forward to actually talking to them. I want a knob that goes to 11, Richard. Yeah. Well, it doesn't look like any. It's a little 3U box. And admittedly, this is 10 years ago. It's a little 3U bo box that with a few network ports on it, you just don't understand that it'll make your Ethernet wires glow. It pushes out so much so much data. It's really, really an evil machine. It took a it's very easy with load tests to kill things. It's very hard to create tests that teach you something. You know, often, you know, with something like the Spiron Avalanche, what we learned was the Spiron Avalanche can kill the server. It didn't actually teach us anything about how the server died or how things could be better. Right. Gotcha. Which ties us back into the whole APM market and tying th back things into a DevOps pipeline. Well, and, and when you think DevOps, one of the big conversations I'm having these days is less load testing, more monitoring in production. Yeah. What do you, what do you say to all of that? I, I, I am a firm advocate. I mean, there, I know application insights probably is as well as anybody at Microsoft and that whole space because of how strongly I, I agree with you here. Um, I'm actually talking to them. We talk, We started this conversation around WCAT, right? Right. I'm talking to them and saying, hey, you guys have got the data pathways. You've got what uh, users were doing and what are the um, the streams or paths or, or I don't know what you want to call it, um, the traffic and how they were doing it. So you may have 100,000 
hits on these different pages, but they're probably only like five or six streams or paths through that. I yes. want them. I want we, them. We to used to call those scenarios. Scenarios. Thank you. I want them to give me the scenarios in a version that I can actually just upload. So that's just something that I am working with again, them and New Relic to be able to use real user monitoring to actually do better than WCAT. WCAT played it back in order and yeah. it made and it made no sense. Um, it, using something like an application insights or a new relic, I can actually get the scenarios that make sense by the scenario. I do shopping, I do management, I do browsing and go out and figure out which one do I want to optimize for. That is the next big thing, it, it, without a doubt, in our space. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it's, yeah, just a necessary part of that whole process is we used to, you know, we used to cobble this together ourselves, right? There were tools you could use on your, on your logs that would extract the scenarios. And, and they were really for marketing analysis. It's like, how many people are putting stuff to the shop at Carbon, not buying it? How many are actually buying? How many are just browsing, never put anything in the cart? Like, and those, that's where this concept of scenario came from. It's like, here's this chain of activity. People look at six different items, they put four of them in their cart, and then they abandon the cart. You know, that, and, and so on. And knowing the frequency of those, then you start constructing these scenarios. And it was all about trying to build a load test that felt realistic. You have to it, allow for the spousal approval factor. Yes. The time between you put everything in the cart and you actually check out. I, I was always fascinated by how often you'd see carts that had the most expensive thing on the site and the least expensive thing on the site in the cart that never got bought. <laughs> yeah. Right. But when, ab abandoned cart studying was just a, you could get lost in that stuff. Right. But. So we were making performance enhancements by knowing that most frequently items that, that were put in carts make that sure those things are fast. Right. And that this is the category and this is the pathway. Because usually in any given website, there's multiple ways of actually traversing, adding things to a car or, or doing the checkout, figuring out the, the paths or the scenarios that they're actually using and optimizing those. Or, or better yet, figuring out what features that you think should be getting used because they're adding value, why they're not. That's actually is, is equally interesting when I lo start looking at this usage data of going out and saying, we added this. It's got to be so much better for them. Why is it not being used? Yeah. So that's, I, I mean, putting all that back into the build, making sure that we are getting faster and faster in the areas that should, and going out and surfacing the, the features that you think are adding value is, like I said, it is the next thing. Um, wiring this all back up into a release pipeline. So one of the conversations we're having in the DevOps space these days is doing more testing in production, which when you're an ops guy makes blood come out of your eyes, <laughs> right? Like you just, you, when you, you can't say that with a straight face as a developer to an IT guy and not have him freak out. You have to walk them to the idea. And the idea is I'm building a new feature that we know is going to have substantial overhead. I have no idea how people are necessarily going to use it. So I want to start deploying the feature in the app and, and not showing it to the customer, but having it exercise itself and we can collect production level feedback. I'm going to give you this switch so that if you fear it, it's, if you think it's damaging the system, you could shut it off. I'll know when you do that, but that way we can actually gather enough information to know how much more resources we're going to have to have available when this feature is ready to be deployed. Feature flags, stage rollouts, incremental rollouts. Yeah. I, there, there's, there's a book for somebody there. I, there's 
lots of best practices, uh, lots of ways of doing it. It's interesting is that our ops team likes the idea that there's fewer redundant uh, mirrors of their infrastructure. They, the, the, we actually have like ring zero, ring one, ring right. two. Um, when you run Visual Studio online, you're actually in ring four. And they kind of like this idea that, and they get behind it, that they can go out and immediately wake up the developers and say, this is you. This is your call. This is yep. your feature. And um, I can go ahead and join the war room if you want me to. But yep. I, I see that you're the DRI. You're the guy that is responsible and the person that needs to resolve this. I and wired it so that if you flip that switch to turn off that feature, it generated a work item to the developer who was building it. It's like the feature was shut off at this time. And I, and the one time we that actually happened, I was with the devs that it happened. I picked up the phone to call the ops guy. And I said, Luke, you've turned off your targeting computer. Is everything okay? <laughs> I Yeah, I, it, there's there's a book there and maybe some some engineering work for us. But yeah. I think this is, this is around almost practices more than anything else. Just uh, thinking through working from the truth, because the battle of load testing is always trying to act like a human and computers aren't humans. Humans are way weirder. Yeah. <laughs> they just, they're badly behaved. I remember doing, we were having, doing a set of tests, like systems tip over so quickly when things go wrong. And so we were actually doing, um, Focus group testing. We had people on machines with cameras on them so we could watch how they were using it. You know, they, and this was a, an internal app that got really busy at the end of every month. And there was one, you know, there's always one particular person. Right. That, that, the, the, who's just hardwired to be a beta tester because they think evil. And what she would do when the site started slowing down is she'd open more windows. So instead of having one page and refreshing it, she had six pages. So it's like, let me get this straight. We're struggling to keep up with the load you're generating. And so your response to that is to generate more load. You should teach her how to spin up VMs and use different <laughs> browsers as well. <laughs> <laughs> I just never thought, it, who thinks of that? It's just mean. Uh, you know, it, like you said, people are weird. People are weird. Yes, they Way are. weirder than my load test tools ever have been. This is cool stuff, man. I'm excited. Hey, Very so cool. I want to. I want to actually maybe make an offer. So the the first person that hears this, the first person that actually goes out and sends us a screenshot of running from Azure, one of those performance tests. Um, how about a free copy of Titanfall for that guy? Uh, I'll buy it myself, and you tell me how to get it to him, and I will. And the reason Titanfall. This Titanfall it was purported as being the largest Windows application on the planet, and right. it was and it was load tested with all those features that we were talking about today. Nice, awesome, yeah. All right, so you fire an email to us to yep. with a screenshot, and yep. I will give you a copy of Titanfall. Awesome. Okay, we'll pass it along. Charles, thank you very much. Hey guys, thank you for having me. It's it's way overdue, and I appreciate the, the opportunity. Yep, awesome stuff. It's really good stuff, and. We're going to send you out today with a song from the Franklin Brothers. This is all new, featuring John Schofield on guitar. This is Groove or Get Out of the Way. So go write some code. Have a good one. We'll see you next time.
down.